0: Hi, my name is Hannah, and I'm Strayas, welcome to ThoughtBox.
1: So this week, Judge Jackson has been going through her Senate confirmation hearings in the U.S. Senate, and it seems like she has the vote. She's going to be on the Supreme Court and become the first ever black woman to be on the court. Biden said in the beginning, I'm going to nominate a black woman. And that has led a lot of people to wonder if. Judge Jackson, and specifically like Senator, Republican senators like Mike Lee said from the get-go that Biden's strategy on nominating someone was not based enough on meritocracy. And Republican senators pressed her during her confirmation hearings saying, people who are equally qualified were not considered for this job because of the race. Do you think that's fair? So this really like brings back into our discussion this larger situation and question that we've always been grappling with, especially as college students, And that is affirmative action.
0: So before we get into the nuances that you just mentioned and exactly what affirmative action looks like in our society today, let's go back a little into history and talk about how affirmative action really started and what it really entails. The idea of the program came about during the civil rights movements where political leaders saw there was a need for government to promote disenfranchised minorities in the workplace. And so President Lyndon Johnson initiated affirmative action to specifically improve opportunities for black Americans. And these policies included hiring quotas, giving out scholarships.
1: So, since then, affirmative action has gone to the court many, many times. So, there's one case uh, in UC Davis Med School where they started off by doing quotas, right? So, they said there are gonna be 16 spots and They're going to be served for our black students, and the rest we're going to do normal admission for. Um, Race blind, I guess. And a man got rejected, and he sued the school, saying that he was not given the fair treatment he deserves um, on the basis of his race. Um, He was a white guy. And... What that basically meant is when the Supreme Court looked at it, they said, "Okay, quotas are unconstitutional because the argument was that he had higher test scores than students who had been accepted through the quota part of the um, acceptance program at UC Davis. So therefore, he was discriminated against uh, by his race and quotas are unconstitutional. So that was clashed down. Then another case went to the courts where schools were saying, using implementing affirmative action by saying we're trying to reach diversity. Same thing happened students. Um, with higher test scores were being turned down for uh, other students, minority groups, who some who have had lower test scores. And Supreme Court said, okay, you can't just say diversity. You have to have actionable thresholds that you're trying to reach. So now schools were kind of put in a situation where they're saying, okay, we can't have quotas, but we need to have actionable, tangible thresholds that we're trying to reach in diversity. So the way affirmative action is being done right now, that's really interesting, is that It's not based off your, um, they're not trying to build diversity just based off your race. They're trying to build it off things that are tangent to your race. So like
0: like within your application process, if like, let's say you're you're a minority, mm -hmm. then within your application process, there has to be something in terms of like indicating that you did something specific to the fact that you... Maybe helped out within a certain organization. Yeah, that's how you get into, for
1: example, like being part of the Black Student Association at school. People would be like, like um, the admission counselor could see that and be like, okay, you know, we're gonna prioritize that for diversity. That's how they're like making more objective. Interesting. Um, That is what the Harvard case this fall is about. So there's this Supreme Court case where this group of students for fair admittance or admission. Um, representing a lot of uh, Asian-American students who've been rejected by Harvard, arguing that they were discriminating against for their race, are uh, going up to the Supreme Court to basically argue that affirmative action, this, this now affirmative action is a lot more narrow, right? It's not quotas, it's not directly race-based. That, that now this narrow part of affirmative action is still unconstitutional. And the unconstitutional part of it is that college counselors, sorry, the admit admission office um, people who decide uh, are giving much lower scores to Asian-American students based on non-objective things. For example, they will like rate you on like, is this person the leader in the community? Is this person personable? Is this person someone that we think would be fun to talk to? These are like categories that admission officers are trying to grade them on from a scale of 1 to 10. And what they found is that Asian-Americans on those categories were always ranking much lower.
0: But how do you even quantify that
1: it makes no sense right so it's so subject to bias and that's what they're arguing that there's this now inherent bias in admissions office where they're just now ranking asian-american kids lower on this and then using those scores they're they're trying that's to make, their excuse basically. exactly right like they're quantifying in things to then put some number into like why they're not accepting certain students that's what the Harvard case is about
0: so that's interesting in the sense that as you mentioned the whole court case it, it set like a precedent for schools to be incentivized right. to like, use this messed up system that probably doesn't even actually work they're just using it because right. they can't say oh you're asian we don't want you right they need to say oh
1: you're not personable interest and then they've overproportionately made asian american applicants they just rank them low on that
0: already we see the issues with affirmative action then but i think in theory at least how it started off we talked about the civil rights movement and yeah. came from good intentions yeah so it wanted it wanted to create an effective way to combat the inequalities we see in our society but is it actually effective when we really look at what's happening i mean obviously students may be getting into these prestigious schools like harvard yale or you know nyu <laughs> but i mean you, after they graduate Are they seeing the opportunities that they should be seeing if they were white?
1: Yeah, so you bring up an interesting point, right? like What is it they're actually trying to solve? So right at the civil rights movement, there's this glaring number um, that they realized was causing a lot of like inherent differences between a black applicant applying and a white applicant applying. And that was just like all the socioeconomic barriers they have to face to even compete at the same level, right? So like, you see today, um, today the white average white household has $188,000 as a net worth. And the average black family is less than 15% of that. Less than 15% of that, right? That is that's crazy. That's such a big disparity. So think about all the things that comes with it. The SAT itself is, you know, The whole process, you take it a couple times, that's hundreds of dollars. And let's say a lot of, there's a lot of programs like have it paid for, um, get financial aid for it, that's fine. But also people spend thousands of dollars on tutors for the SAT, on teaching you how to like, game the test, on how to do different kinds of strategies. Then there's AP classes, and then alongside AP classes, there's test prep books for AP classes. There's just so many different things where every time there's a price tag for you to get to the next level. And those things can add up in aggregate. So what affirmative action does is it gives opportunities and kind of accelerates the ability for people who have these socioeconomic differences to be able to then grapple with that. So then you ask, like, is this actually working? And what's interesting is, like, at Ivy League League schools, and we see this at NYU, um, is that the average student is a lot wealthier than across the country. And that's true for every single race group. It's not, it's not just like there's some rich kids that bring the average up. Overall, every single student is more wealthy than like an equivalent uh, student at a local university somewhere else in America, right? So they're not actually doing a ton for the dis- socioeconomically disenfranchised. It's more so taking the students who had those economic opportunities and then kind of like plugging them in which is interesting because is that solving the issue?
0: Yeah, I think as you mentioned with all of this like socioeconomic disparities in terms of just heightening it even in college, like you're not really actually solving the issue that you say you're going to. Right. Instead you're just picking and choosing selective people right. and then using them to further your argument.
1: Right, and like don't get me wrong, like the it's not that the only like the only like there's this myth about front of action that like only the um the richest minorities get to go and they're just like fulfilling like the diversity quota yeah yeah no
0: of course there's other way right other reasons why people are getting we're not saying it's only because you're rich right obviously your candidates are qualified
1: yeah and also like minority students at like harvard are seven times more likely to be low income than the white students. But that doesn't actually change the fact that on average, they're still wealthier than equivalent students across the country.
0: So do you think there's a knowledge gap between the rest of the country in terms of using these resources? Like we talked a little bit about this before the podcast, but your experience in high school and seeing how some of your classmates just didn't even know that there were like scholarships for these certain schools Right. not even being handed the right resources to go to these schools.
1: Right, you see it at NYU a lot, that a lot of kids who come in because they're they're in the know, right? And then they are in the community of other people who are in the know, and they already know from freshman fall like banking and how it works and all about Wall Street Oasis. (laughs) And then you'll meet kids who didn't come from the same privileged background, who have no idea how to write a professional coffee chat email to approach those kinds of opportunities, right? It's not just saying, yo, what's up, let's talk. There's like this, this industry standard that you have to be in the know to know and even know that like you should look it up and find out what it is. And if you don't do it in that way, then you're just gonna have your email get canceled. So how do you actually like solve those kinds of things? Um, what you were just talking about at my high school, What was really disturbing was that a lot of kids who were low income, so my public high school that I went to for my freshman year of high school um, was filled. a lot of people from tier one schools. um, Tier one essentially means that like uh, a large portion of the student body was getting subsidized food plans. That's like their metric. And a lot of people from tier one elementary school, middle schools would come into our high school. So we had this really like large diversity in socioeconomic Um, backgrounds and what's really interesting is that a lot of people who are very smart from low-income backgrounds didn't know that a lot of colleges offered merit scholarships they would look up the tuition be like I can't afford $60,000 for and for Northeastern not knowing that Northeastern has a great merit scholarship program and they just don't apply
0: so already in these schools even though they have affirmative action implemented which is you know supposedly supposed to help but the applicant pool itself, in terms of people who are actually applying, is already very, very self-selected,
1: limited. right? And then once they even get into the school, there's this really interesting study about how a black student at Harvard is as likely to get a good-paying job as a white student from a state school. So these schools are not putting their students; they're already doing a bad job in making, uh, in using affirmative action. And helping the students who really need it because of the self-selection bias and who's applying they're not fulfilling the knowledge gap um but then once they actually have those students they're not actually helping them place in better jobs so because what i'm hearing
0: you say is even getting a degree from one of these colleges which we see right now to be like the ultimate oh i've made it you know Yeah. You, they're not actually making it because even when they do graduate from these elite institutions race still plays such a vital role in the labor market that counteracts
1: yeah a harvard degree does not solve racism
0: yeah so i like you said the problem is that even when these students are accepted into these elite colleges not saying that they don't deserve it obviously they do and they are probably very qualified candidates but they struggle within these schools, mm-hmm. too, because, as you mentioned, there exists that knowledge gap.
1: So, yeah, there's a study done in UT Austin that after they implemented the Affirmative Action Programs, their uh, minority students had a average SAT percentile of 59, per, uh, 59, and then for everyone else, it was 82. And those students, they were interviewed, and... Anecdotally, they said that yeah, they felt like they're very underprepared, right? If if you don't if you don't have the study habits to have a 80-second personnel SAT score, that will project itself in how you prepare for your school tests, how you prepare for your final exams, how you prepare for like maybe your LSATs, your MCATs, post-undergrad. So it, it projects itself in so many ways by just taking kids who have less academic credentials and then not investing in them to bring them up to where everyone else was. To just say, like, we recognize that there is socioeconomic and other external factors that result in you not being able to excel as academically, and we're willing to overlook that, and just accepting them is not enough. You have to actually invest in them. But then the problem is, you can't turn a 59th percentile SAT student into an 82nd percentile student in four years. In four years.
0: You can't even do that from high school. You can't do that in eight years. And I mean, like, we talked about affirmative action. We... Mentioned all the fatal flaws it has, but if it didn't exist, we would even be in a worse place right now. But at the current rate, it is applied within society, is not measurable, and is not actually impactful. You, as you mentioned, we can't do that in four years. We probably can't even do that in eight years. When should we really start? These affirmative action programs can't begin simply in college or through diversity programs. In jobs, when do we begin? What do you think? Well, I kind of wish like it started as soon as like we were born. Like the minute they start going to school, there should be these these programs implemented to help, I guess, minority students to to raise them to a level that is equal.
1: Yeah. So there's this interesting thing where if you go to preschool your SAT score is likely to be much higher and that so much of your childhood brain development happens when you're young, but you're not exposed to numbers and logic and like, you know, surprisingly, like a a, a little kid putting like a square through the square hole game, like that helps you with your child development, right? Um, It helps you understand spatial awareness. So getting your brain engaged and working at a very young age has resounding impacts on education. Obviously, low-income students are far less likely to go to preschool or pre-k and have full-time kindergarten um new hampshire didn't have full-time kindergarten until like a couple years ago so what happens is you just you during your prime developmental years you're already disadvantaged and then you're competing with second graders who've gone to preschool and you're on the lower end and those differences just keep amalgamating right so we were discussing this yesterday What what would be interesting is like scott Galloway has this great quote that um, I'm paraphrasing it, but essentially like let's try to create something awesome and unique and a really great experience and really try to enhance our product constantly and then share it with no one, said every Ivy League college president. because they invest so much in their institution and in getting the best professors and their academia. And they're like we've created this world class education for students and we're gonna try to accept as few amount of students as possible. And that's fine, right? Like Everyone understands that the selectivity gives you prestige. <laughs> You, you, I mean, we're not going to ask these schools to suddenly be like take your acceptance rate and make it twenty percent, right? Obviously, that would result in the standard of the students dropping.
0: But they should at least invest more in actually seeing the difference.
1: Right, but if they're saying we want to solve these larger socioeconomic and racial issues in the country through programs of affirmative action, then actually do things that are going to solve the problem. One percent of uh, Harvard's endowment, so they have endowed endowment about fifty billion dollars. One percent of it. And also every preschool, the average startup cost is between 10 to $50,000. And let's take the highest end of $50,000. Let's take 1% of Harvard's endowment. They would be able to build, I believe the number was like 16,000 preschools across the country in low-income neighborhoods. Think about how many preschools that is per state. 16,000 preschooled, 1% of their endowment. Imagine Harvard just started opening up. Preschools, you know, here in New York City, you go over there, they're opening up this up because they're trying to invest in... You get a free
0: preschool. You get a preschool.
1: And they're just trying to invest in these young students and give them opportunities that will have resounding impact in the future.
0: See, that sounds amazing. And I think that's definitely the future that we should be building towards and should be moving towards instead of solely relying on affirmative action during college, but just telling Harvard and these elite institutions with great endowments to build more preschools, I think it's easy to say, but of course, they would never do it. And even if they did build these preschools, the quality of education is not a guarantee. So I think we definitely need to talk more about these policies, but in general, affirmative action is Maybe something we should look also more closely at, and maybe keep a skeptical eye into s- understanding what affirmative action really means.
1: Yeah, because I think I think the gist here is that affirmative action as a program is not accomplishing a ton for society, and that's fine. You know, these Ivy institutions. Aren't tasked with solving society's problems, but if they're saying they should, they're trying, and it's coming at the cost of actively discriminating against Asian American students, then it should be accomplishing something, right? And saying accepting kids when they're 18 years old and most of the development and learning has occurred, and then giving them giving them the boost through affirmative action um, to get them to four education—that's too late. I think affirmative action really needs to happen when you're really young and it needs to happen by giving people resources and solving that knowledge gap and you know if you're going to have a merit scholarship to help low-income kids get in make sure those low-income kids know right i would remember that like at our high school um i went to boarding school after high school and we had a great college um counseling program and they would bring in admissions officers from all these schools to talk about their scholarship programs and everything. And I was thinking to my head, like, we don't need this. We know this. We memorize the admissions page of every single college website. We're obsessed we're already, with this. Con- we're already
0: like, done sucking yeah, up. Yeah. I know? could give
1: this presentation to these students, right? It's like, who needs this? It's like, it's, it's the low income public schools where those people don't know they're not applying to your school because they don't know you offer this program. That's where it needs to happen. So I think colleges need to start thinking less about signaling to people of what it is they do and how moral they are and start actually being actionable and optimizing for results.
0: So let us know what you think. Is affirmative action the poisoned apple of America's education system? And if so, how do you fix it? You know, how, how do you really adequately address the issues? Is it through policy making? Is it through building more preschools? Email us at specs at stern dot NYU dot edu